This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. So I think it's safe to say that moms make the world go round. Amen? Um, I think, uh, I know that next month we're going to be celebrating dads. It's going to be all about you, but today it's going to be all about moms. And I think dads would would agree with me that moms kind of take the cake. They are at a whole other level about getting things done, keeping us on schedule, keeping us on track, and making sure no details get missed, right? Moms rock. They have some inequality to take care of you, to, to nurture you, to just really just look after you. Moms, moms do it the best. And so God created moms to be the nurturer and all these things. And it, this became even more apparent to me when we became pet owners. Yes, yeah, so about five months ago, um, we decided we would finally get our girls a dog after many, many years of them begging us and pleading and making false promises that they would do all the work and bathe them and take them out to potty and all these things and potty train them, um, all which were lies, absolute lies. But however, uh, like three Christmases in a row, they asked for absolutely nothing except a dog. And so the guilt was just there. Like, I really wish we could get them a dog. And I was okay with it. But of course, Tommy Brandon would not have any, anything to do with it. And um, so I finally told the girls, you are just going to have to pray that, that God changes God's heart, that he softens his heart. And I'm telling you, prayer works because last fall... He started researching of what would be the best animal for our family. We all have horrible allergies. And so he all of a sudden started realizing that maybe it's time we can get a dog. Maybe, you know, maybe it'd be a good fit for us. And so we got a schnoodle. His name is Boudreaux, Senor Boudreaux, to be exact. You've probably heard Tommy talk about him a little bit. But um, we love this guy. I mean, I love him especially. But the first few weeks were absolutely brutal. I mean, from waking up at 3 in the morning, taking him out in 40-degree weather, sometimes sleet and snow. We had to get him during the wintertime, right? That wasn't pretty, very smart of us. But we did it. And, well, mostly I did it, but we did it. <laughs> and, um, and about a couple weeks into it, Tommy was done. He said, I cannot handle this. He was having a nervous breakdown. It is ruining my life. He has ruined my schedule. I cannot drink coffees and peace in the mornings in the bed anymore. I'm just, I can't handle it. He really was, he was having a nervous breakdown. So in an effort to try to save this relationship, I told him, well, let's see if we can get him some training. And my friend Selena talked about this great place. And so we took him to this um, top dog training. And he stayed there for a whole month. He was boarded. And because he was ready to give him up. And I told him, absolutely not. We've made this commitment. You're not going to you know, give up this easily. We've got to, you know, push through at least a few months. So um, we sent him to boarding school, and he did learn a lot. He learned a few tricks, and but we thought we'd get, you know, bypass all the hard stuff. Well, we didn't bypass all the hard stuff. We got him back, and he still needed some serious potty training. And I say all that to say that I'm pretty much doing three-fourths of the work, and before between him and the girls, they do about the other fourth of the work. But I don't mind because I love him and I have this, this desire to take care of him that no one else in my family seems to care. If he gets walked in the day, he, they don't care. They don't care if, it, if it's dinner time and it's like 
I've got to get home to feed the dog. Oh, he's fine, mom. You know, I mean, it's, it's just a whole different level of love that a mom, and I think it's just a woman in general that, ha- that, that we have and, and just doesn't compare. But in spite of Tommy's periodic meltdowns, he does love Boudreaux. And I have a picture of him and our dog just to show, show him off. It's obvious that he does love him. Yeah, and so I just wanted y'all to know he is a good dog owner. It's not Photoshop. That is the real thing. Seriously. I could have shown a lot of other ones too, but but anyway, it's no secret that women, that moms, we were made to be the nurturers. We were made to be the caretakers. God put something inside of us that men just don't have. So let me share with you some general facts. This is really going to blow your mind about female caregivers. Listen up. An estimated 66% of caregivers are female. The average caregiver is a 49-year-old woman who works outside the home and provides 20 hours per week of unpaid care to her mother. The next one, although men also provide assistance, female caregivers may spend as much as 50%, 50% more time providing care more than male caregivers do. Next one is women caretakers are more likely to suffer from anxiety or depression than women in the general population. So it's no question that we pour and we give of ourselves a lot. We invest a lot of time in others that sometimes it comes at the high price of investing in us the least. And that results in someone that is burned out, stressed out, and sometimes at their breaking point, and I've seen it very often, and that's who I want to speak to today. It's not necessarily just for our moms, but for anyone that feels like they are carrying a heavy, heavy load. If you are tired, um, you're just here at the right place, because I feel like this message is going to bless you today. So I want you guys to open the Bible, go to your Bible app, and let's go to Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 7. A few months ago, I found this scripture, and it has just stuck with me and really just blessed me, and I knew that it was going to be something that I wanted to speak on. And I'm actually going to read out of two translations because I love them both. And the first one is in the New Living Translation. It says this, verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 7 of chapter 17 in Jeremiah. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Then in the message it says this, But blessed is the man who trusts in me, God, the woman who sticks with God. They're like trees replanted in Eden, putting down roots near the rivers, never a worry through the hottest of summers, never dropping a leaf, serene and calm through droughts bearing fresh fruit in every season. And that's my title today, Fruit in Every Season. So uh, when we think about being fruitful, it simply means that you are living a life that brings glory to God. You are living in such a way that you are showing him off above everything else. And then my mind automatically goes to the fruits of the spirit that Paul talked about in Galatians 5, which are love, peace, kindness, gentleness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So how do we bear these fruits in every season of our lives? You're probably thinking right now, are you kidding me? There are days I can't 
even get out of bed, let alone have something good or productive to show for that day. There are days when I can only make it hour by hour, but I want you to know here today that God wants you to thrive in those seasons, not just survive in those seasons of drought. He literally wants you to experience life and growth in your season of drought, fruit in every season. So I want to talk about how this is accomplished. How is this possible? How can you go through every season and still bear fruit? There's got to be times when, you know, there's just nothing left to give, but I want you to hear this and what the Lord has to say about all this. So let's go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. A very familiar verse, and I love it. It says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. There's so much in this passage, and I want to kind of dissect it for just a minute. The first thing I want to point out to you is that he invites you. He says, come to me. And with those words, he is wooing you to him. He is drawing you to him. He is telling you, don't run to somebody else. I want you to come to me. And then he makes it plain who he is addressing. He says, the weary, the heavy burden. Now, I don't know about you, but I interpret that to mean the stressed out, the depressed, the lonely, the angry, the bitter, the resentful, the hurt, the abused, the afflicted, the single mom, the divorcee, the, the widow, the heartbroken, the abandoned. You, I want you to come to me. This is Jesus' words to us. And aren't you thankful that he didn't pawn us off to someone else? He said, no, you come to me. Don't ignore this season of drought that you're in. I want you to come to me and give it to me. Amen. And then he says, and I will give you rest. One definition for rest is to cease work or movement in order to relax, refresh oneself, and recover strength. In other words, he's telling us stop working so hard. In fact, stop working at all and let me do the work. Catch your breath. Doesn't that sound amazing to catch your breath? When was the last time that you allowed yourself to the, let the Lord give you rest. When was the last time? Then he reiterates the idea of rest by saying, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. Does anyone know what a yoke is? Yes. Well, I'm not a country girl. I'm from the city, from San Diego specifically, and I've been in Texas longer, but I'm a West Coast girl through and through. I love me the city. I love being around a large grocery store, not like a Piggly Wiggly or a Brookshire's. I want everything. I want a grocery store that has 15 types of different apples, that has um, sushi samples for you to take while you're shopping. I want it all. I, I love it when they're cooking, they have cooking shows right in front of you, and you can just learn something right there on the spot. I like the big fancy grocery stores. And I also love Starbucks, because who in their right mind is going to live five miles or farther away to a Starbucks? It's just not going to happen. I've got to, it's got to be close by. And of course, I have to have Target, and I'm already bitter that Burleson does not have a super Target, but I'm dealing with it. I'm pressing through it. But just don't put me in the country. I know a lot, a lot of people here are Y'all are amazing. You blow my mind how, you know, 
you raise cattle and you clean out chicken coops and you grow gardens. And I don't care how attractive Chip and Joanna Gaines make that look. It's not for me. Give me the city all day long. Don't put me in the country. So I did have to go, uh, I had to go research what a yoke is. I kind of had an idea. But what it is, it's a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the necks of two animals. It could be oxen or donkeys. And then it's attached to a plow or a cart that they pull. And it's used to pull heavy things, to pull heavy loads. So when Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you because it's easy and it's light, he's telling you, I'm going to do all the work. I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to carry that load for you. I'm going to make it lighter for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it easy for you. It's like those easy buttons at the Staples commercials. I don't know if they still have those commercials because I don't watch commercials anymore. I don't know if anybody does, but they used to have this red button that you you could just tap if a job got too hard. That's what Jesus is saying. Take my yoke upon you. I will make your burden light. Amen? So we've established that we first need to come to him. But a lot of times we don't take it any further than that. We are very good at coming to Jesus. But we are not as good at staying and remaining in Jesus. We get busy with our families, with our kids, with our hectic schedules, our long to-do lists, our responsibilities. And, and it could get crazy. And we are not as good at staying and remaining in him. But Jesus didn't intend for you to just come to him for a moment. He didn't intend for you to come, get what you need, and then be on your way. His purpose from the very first time he called you was for you to come and stay. He took this invitation of come to me, and he took it to the next level, and he said, abide in me. When we look at John 15, in one translation it says, remain in me. He is interested in a long-term, deep, intimate relationship with each and every one of us. Amen, church? Would you go with me to John 15 and 4, it says this, Abide in me, this is Jesus speaking, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Everyone say much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. He calls himself the vine and us the branches. He is the life source. He's making it clear that he and he alone is where we get our strength, where we get our nourishment. We can't survive without it. We can't expect to bear fruit if we are not connected to the true vine, to the life source. Amen. Now, is there anyone here that's a green thumb? Y'all just love growing those gardens. No? Oh, my goodness. Come on. Raise your hands up. I'm not a green thumb. Um, I do love flowers, so I love flowers, especially my favorite is the hydrangea. And I don't, I don't know why I just love them so much, but I do have an early memory of them, a childhood memory of having hydrangeas in one of the first homes that I remember when I was about eight years old. It was a, in Linwood, California, and it was a cute little white house, a real small house, but in the front of it there was the most gorgeous bushes of just hydrangeas covering that front window. And I always imagined and I always dreamed that someday I'm going to have a house full of hydrangeas like that covering this my home. And it's yet to happen because this is Texas, not California. So we're struggling in that area. But last year, Tommy did surprise me and he did buy me a hydrangea bush for our front yard. And I, want, I believe it was for Mother's Day as well. And um, he had it planted for me and 
It lasted about a week, even though I watered it just like they told me to. And after about a week, maybe a week and a half, it just looked really sad. And after about two weeks, it looked absolutely dead. And I was just, I just knew it. This is, this was my fate. You know, I'm not, I'm just not meant to have hydrangeas. But so I spoke to a friend that's a gardener. He came and looked at it, and I really thought that we're just going to have to pull it out, and it's just not going to happen for us. But um, he assured me that if we cut it down, and if we cut it down, it would bloom back the following year. And sure enough, just this past week, we're seeing some beautiful blooms on it. And I was so relieved because I really thought that it was over. So what looked dead on the surface was still connected to the source, and the roots were still intact. They were still healthy, amen? So although the environment outside had damaged it, it had not killed it. So maybe this is where you are in your life right now. Maybe the circumstances in your life have brought you to a place where you are hopeless, where, where your dreams have died, where you just feel barren. But I want to tell you that God did not create you to be barren. He created you to be bearing fruit. Amen. To produce a life that is full of the breath of God and his Holy Spirit. But to grow something, it takes time. It takes work. It takes energy. And so flourishing spiritually and being fruitful in our own lives is no different. We have to do that as well. Yes, we can all appreciate the time, all you moms, that we invest in our kids, in our families, on our jobs. I appreciate that. But nothing can take the place of investing in your own relationship with Christ. You've got to water the garden of your own soul before you can water others. Amen? And we do this by abiding in him. So what does abiding in him look like? When I started thinking about this, it's like God gave me this illustration or of someone that has, or when you go over someone's house and you are just a guest there versus when you are living in a home, when you are abiding in it, when you're a resident of it. So I'm going to give you some illustrations just to kind of paint this picture, and then we're going to put a spiritual application to it as well. So when you're a guest at a home, you're usually there for a short time, so you only eat one or two meals. You're only uh, eating enough to sustain you for a short period of time, right? The nourishment that you receive is not meant to sustain you for a long period and definitely not for a lifetime. But when you are a resident, when you are abiding somewhere, you eat there on a regular basis. You eat enough to sustain you for a long period of time. And if we look at this in the spiritual sense, when we are abiding in him, then he becomes our daily bread. In fact, in John 6, 35, it says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The word of God is also referred to us as our daily bread. So when we feed off the word of God, when we are abiding in it, then we bear the fruit of it. Amen? I read a book recently called uh, God's Psychiatry. It was given to me by Karen Pierce, and it was uh, by the author, Dr. Charles Allen. He was talking about how he would prescribe to his uh, patients that suffered with anxiety and depression. He literally subscribed them to read or prescribe. And it was like a prescription to kind of to say for them to read Psalm 123 five times a day. And they were not allowed to do it by memory. They literally had to read it out loud and meditate on it five times a day. And it's amazing the difference of what the word of God was doing in these people's life. Amen. The word of God is a powerful thing. 
I want to eat of it daily. So back to being a guest in someone's home. So when you're a guest in someone's home, you're not completely yourself. You know, you're trying to be on your very best behavior and have really good manners and clean up after yourself. And, um, you know, you're living out of a suitcase most likely. And even though they tell you, you know, make yourself at home, you still have some reservations, right? Um, I'll, I'll never forget one summer we went over to some friend's house in Oklahoma. We had a big gathering. There was about 13 of us. Um, I think it's like six kids or so. It was a big crowd. It's a 4th of July week, and we were just going to have some fun and do the fireworks show and everything. And unfortunately, 11 of us out of the 13, we all came down with food poisoning. We think it was food poisoning, but we were all sick to our stomach, and it was a nightmare. I'm telling you, we were up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'll never forget because I was one of the first ones hit. So I kind of felt a little bit better before everybody else. And one of, one of our friends, Alden Cheatham, I'll never forget, he came out of that bedroom. He got on his knees, and he said, please, just take care of the kids. Just take care of the kids. Go get the kids. And he was on his deathbed. I mean, we were all just trying for dear life to survive whatever had hit this house. But at that time, all I can think of, oh, man, I wish I could just be home. There's nothing worse than not being in your home when you're feeling sick, right? Because when you're at home, you can be your true self. You can walk in your pajamas with your hair messed up and no makeup on. It's the real you. And so it is when you are abiding in Christ. You can take the mask off. You are completely transparent. You can be honest and vulnerable in his presence. You have nothing to fear because you are secure in his life for you, in his love for you. You are abiding in him. This is what it means to abide in him. You're not just there for a visit. You are abiding in him. Amen? When we're a guest, the conversations are short and they're sweet. When you're over... Uh, for dinner with someone. You're cordial and the conversations are light. You're not going to get too deep. You're not going to get into the nitty gritty. You're not going to bury each other's souls or tell each other your deepest secrets, right? But when you're in a home, when it's your family, when it's your own home, you have deep and ongoing conversations. And so this to me represents what our prayer life should be with him when we are abiding in him. When you're there just for a visit, it's different. But when you are there abiding in him, you take the time and you can actually hear the voice of God speaking. There is an ongoing and growing relationship. When you think about this in your own house, your children, they are rooted and grounded in the values that you have instilled in them through many conversations, through many experiences, through many teachable moments. So much so that they begin to take on your characteristics, right? And when we abide in Jesus and him in us, we take on more and more of who he is, more and more of his character. When he takes residence in us, he makes himself at home in us and is able to work in us and through us. And this is how we can bear fruit in every season because he is residing in us. Amen. I read an illustration that kind of put it like this. When just imagine that you were invited to the palace of a king, and he has prepared this incredible feast for you, an incredible feast for you to enjoy, for you to experience. Would you be satisfied? Would you be happy just standing at the door and not ever coming in, just watching from afar? Nobody would be satisfied with that, right? We would want to come in and sit with the king and eat at his table and, and experience everything that he had to offer us. Amen? For as long as we could. And we would never, ever want to leave. We would want to stay there, abide in that place. 
The problem, I believe, is when we allow the wrong things to take residence in us. We are abiding in the wrong things. Instead of hope, we're choosing fear. Instead of joy, we're choosing bitterness. And it's a choice, guys. Instead of forgiveness, we are choosing resentment and we're holding on to anger. Instead of confidence in Christ, we're choosing insecurity. All these things are fruits of the flesh, not the Holy Spirit. Amen? And I want to read to you what happens when we are abiding in our flesh. In that same Jeremiah 17 that I started off with, that scripture before, um, chapter 17, verse 5, it says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. That's powerful. Your spiritual health cannot survive and it definitely cannot thrive when you are abiding on the wrong things. So I want to ask you today, what are the things in your life that are keeping you from bearing fruit? What are the things in your life that are keeping you from abiding in Christ? Is it an unhealthy relationship? Is it bad habits? being wasteful with our time, focusing our energy on the wrong things? Is it negative thoughts or negative self-talk? This is one I have to remind myself daily because I have to tell myself, am I speaking, if what I'm speaking to myself is not in alignment with what God says about me, then I'm not abiding in him. How about the opinion of, opinions of others, listening to others more than the voice of God? Is that keeping you from abiding in him? Maybe it's a painful past. Maybe you're carrying guilt or condemnation. God wants you to be set free from that. Amen? Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe you've been isolating yourself. You're not abiding in him. Maybe it's the loss of someone or something precious to you. Maybe you've been hurt or betrayed. But I come to tell you today that even in your pain, even in your season of drought, you can bear fruit. We have this promise in Psalms 126 and 5, it says this, those, listen up, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Aren't you thankful for that promise today? It's all in how we choose to respond in our season of drought. Because there will be seasons like that. But it doesn't mean that you cannot bear fruit in it. We do well to come to Jesus, but we do better to abide, church. We do better to abide in him. I've seen it many, many times. One person will go through the trial of their life and they'll respond with doubt and fear and anger and resentment. And then another person will go through the trial of their life and they'll respond with hope and faith. And, and just gratitude and thankfulness, believing God for more. And this is the difference between someone that has only come to Jesus for a moment and someone that has abided in him. Amen. We can't stop short of where God wants to take us. There is always more to him, more to learn, more areas to grow in. Never stop growing in, in Christ. Don't stop bearing fruit. You may be in your latter years and you may feel like, my time of bearing fruit has passed. Or you may be a young person and you don't think you have to worry about that yet. But when you are connected to the true vine, to the source of all life, there is no end to what God can do in you and through you. Your life can bring glory to him no matter what season you're in. Amen. 
Colossians 2 and 6 says this, And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue, somebody say continue, to follow him. We don't just come to him and go on our way. No, we continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I want to overflow with thankfulness. Amen. I'm almost ready to wrap up, Sam, if you want to go ahead and come up and help me on the keys. But I want to talk about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. I'm sure you are all familiar with the story, but I want to kind of go through it verse by verse because there's so much in this story. And it really connects with me and probably so many of us moms because this woman didn't feel worthy, didn't feel like she was good enough. And I think all moms feel that way at some point, right? So I want to take you to John chapter 4. Verse 3, and we're going to go through this. It's a lengthy reading, but I just want you to see what God showed me in this scripture reading. So verse 3, this, uh, this is um, the disciples had just come into, uh, into Galilee, and this is where it starts in verse 3. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now notice that this woman was by herself drawing water. And this was rare in those days because when you came to draw water, all the women gathered together, and this was like a time to socialize, a time to catch up and chit-chat. But notice she came by herself. So it tells me that this woman probably didn't have a lot of friends, and you'll see why in a little bit. In verse 9, it says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Notice again that Jesus is breaking down racial and social barriers by just speaking to her. Don't you wish everyone was more like Jesus? Amen? Verse 10, Jesus replied, If only... You knew the gift of God has for you and who you are speaking to. You would ask me, and I would give you living water. So now he's identifying himself as a life source, but it takes her a minute to understand what he's trying to get across to her. Verse 11, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring with them, giving them eternal life. So she still doesn't quite understand what he is trying to communicate. Because then in verse 15, she says, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I, don't, I won't have to come here to get water. So now it's about to get real. As Jesus says, go get your husband. In verse 17, she says, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly speak the truth. See, this woman had been running from one relationship to another. Just running, trying to be fulfilled, trying to find something to ease her brokenness, trying to find that life source. Amen. She was abiding on the wrong things. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. 
So now she's realizing, okay, this is not an ordinary man. He knows things, intimate things, things that I don't want to share, things that I'm not proud of. Then he starts talking to her about true worship. Verse 23, he says, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So I feel like he was saying to her, a true follower, a true worshiper is one that will be honest, that will hide nothing, that will come as they are. He's telling her, come as you are and allow God to reveal light in the dark places of your life, to reveal the things that are keeping her from abiding in him. Amen. Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then he drops the bomb on verse 26, and he says, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. It's like, hello, I'm right here. And in these words, he's saying, that's me. I am the life source. I am your source to all peace. I am your source to all joy. Everything that you've been looking for in every relationship, you're not going to find it. It's sitting right here in front of you. I am he. I am the Messiah. And it's like she's finally getting it, getting this revelation. Let's go to verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran. She ran back to the village telling everyone, come, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now the story shifts and the focus is on the disciples for a minute because the disciples are coming back. They just brought Jesus food. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. That's where our nourishment comes from. Amen. And then he says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and the harvest alike? So what is he saying? He's saying there is fruit right now. You can have fruit in every season. You don't have to wait those four months in the time of harvest. The harvest is here now. It's here. Open your eyes. Let's go back to the Samaritan woman because, remember, she has run off to go tell everyone what she had just experienced. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear this message and believe. And notice they wanted him to stay longer. They weren't content with just a visit from Jesus. They wanted to abide in him. They wanted to experience more of him, more and more. They weren't content just standing at the door and looking at the feast before them. They wanted to experience him and abide in him. Verse 42, then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. So the moment she understood who Jesus was and who she was in him, guess what? There was fruit. There was fruit. She began bearing fruit. No longer did she bear shame or guilt or condemnation or insecurity. She had met the life source. She had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And therefore, she was able to impact those around her. 
and they came to Christ as well. She had tapped into the well spring of life, the well that never runs dry, church. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that well that never runs dry? Moms, we cannot afford to go one day without drinking from the well spring of life. The best gift that we can give our children is to abide in him, to eat from his table, to take him, to allow him to have residence in our heart and our lives. Let's stop allowing other things to abide in us, to take residence in us. He is the source of all life. You may stand to your feet. So my desire for you, my prayer for you is that you live a well-lived life, a well-lived life. And you can only have this by drinking from the well of life. We want to be fruitful in every season, not just the mountaintops, but in the valleys, in the low times, in the darkest of days, we can bear fruit when we are abiding in him. We can experience joy. God did not intend for us to come to him for a moment of restoration. He wants to give us a lifetime of restoration, a lifetime of healing, a lifetime of joy. That is his will for our lives. Amen. So in conclusion, if you have not made it over to our Mother's Day reception, I would love for you to go over. We have a gift for all our moms and for all the women here today. And it's a succulent plant. And I just want it to serve as a reminder. Because these plants were made to weather very harsh temperatures and very harsh storms. So it's just a reminder that you can be fruitful in every season, no matter what it is. I want it to serve as a reminder. And I want you to be encouraged today that God is with you. He's not forsaken you. He is the well spring of life, and he invites you to drink from him daily. Amen. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful today, God, that you have just given us these promises, God, and that through your word we can see that it's so clear to us, God, that we don't have to be bearing, God, that you have called us to bear fruit, Father, that you have called us to be a light. You have called us, Lord, to, to honor you and to show you off in every season, God. Lord, we want to serve you well. We want to respond in those times, God, with joy and gratitude, God. The enemy would have us to be depressed, to be stressed and worn out, but you call us to life and a life and more abundant life, Jesus. I thank you for your faithfulness to us, God. I pray that you bless every mom here today, God, that you would lift her spirits and that she would be encouraged by this word and that she would be reminded, Father, where her source of strength comes from. We thank you that you are our life source. Everyone say amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you so much. We invite you to.